Amen. It is a blessing to again be back with you. And we're excited about the opportunity to report what God has done there in Uganda. If you take your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts chapter 14. I appreciate the pastor giving me this opportunity. Acts chapter 14. This is the first missionary journey of Paul that he took. He took several, but this was his first one. Toward the end of this journey, he goes to the end of where he was planning to go, and then he goes back to some of the places to uh, continue to teach and disciple them. So let's pick up in verse 21. Acts chapter 14, verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. When they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. When they had preached the word in Perga, they went down into Italia and thence sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you bless the message tonight that it might be a challenge and encouragement to the people here as we talk about what you've been doing in Uganda. And I pray that they might be challenged right here in Bakersfield to do the same kind of work that we're doing there that is preaching the gospel, bringing people uh, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Bless this message, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I believe we have here an example of a missionary furlough. Paul has done the work. He has traveled around. He has done the work that God has led him to do. He reaches to the part where he's going to, and then he comes back to the church that sent him out. That church was the church at Antioch. Now, he stayed there a long time telling them all the things. I, I, I wish I could be there. To sit and listen, some not-so-happy times, uh, persecutions, even people rejecting the gospel. But we know because of the testimony of the scriptures that there were many people that got saved. It says he abode long time with them. I, I, it must have taken him a long time to tell all these stories. Uh, I wish I could do that, but it's a little different here in this day. We don't have just one sending church. If one church could support us all the way... That would be interesting. <laughs> but we have many churches that support us. And so to be able to come back and report what God has done, it's hard to do it in a video and one message. But I hope tonight I can basically give you a report of what God has done and how God has opened the door to us there in Uganda. It's a blessing to be able to serve the Lord there in Uganda. And as I said this morning, we could not do what we're doing without your faithful prayers and support. You've been supporting us now for over 25 years, uh, and it's such a blessing to be able to come back and see the church growing, see people getting saved, people being discipled right here. That's what we're doing in Uganda. It's no different. Some might wonder what missionaries do. After all, they only see them once in maybe 10 years or, or so, and then they go. And other than if you read a prayer letter or you see a video, you really have no idea what missionaries do. Some people think they're starting orphanages. Uh, maybe starting schools. Uh, you hear of some that are digging wells for water. Some start vocational schools 
to give them some trades wherewith they can, they can work and make a living. And those are all good things, but a missionary's number one priority is church planning. That is our desire to go there and plant churches. How do we do that? It's the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. We preach the gospel, we baptize those converts, and then we disciple them. When we went to Uganda and we began talking with people, it seemed like everybody was already a Christian. I don't know why we went there as missionaries, because unless they're a Muslim, you ask anybody and everybody says, oh, I'm a Christian. Problem is they don't have the true understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Baptism, good works, being born in a Christian family, all these things they think are what will take them to heaven. But we teach the truth from the word of God, which is salvation by grace through faith. Amen. There's no difference in Uganda or America. Salvation is the same. It might be in a different language, but the message doesn't change. We're thankful that we're able to reach out to people through business. Um, as we go out and we do business with people, we talk with them. Uh, I'll go to, into a place because I'll need some things for the church or home or whatever. And, and obviously, I kind of stand out in Uganda. I don't look like the Ugandans. Uh, and so they naturally ask me, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Are you, in, are you a, a, a UN worker? Are you a humanitarian worker? What, what are you doing here? And that gives me a great opportunity to tell them I'm here preaching the gospel. I'm starting churches. I get to invite them to church. But also, Uganda is a very religious country. As I mentioned, everybody says they're saved. So everybody wants to hear the word, as they put it. And so when they find out I'm a pastor, they say, oh, would you come to our place? Okay, fine. So we set a day up during the week when they're not at work, and we're going to go to their house. Well, they've invited all these other people around to hear the white man it's okay. Use it. I don't mind. It's all right. If it'll bring people to come and hear the gospel, you can tell them the whitest man is coming. I don't care. It's fine. They come and we, we give them the gospel. We make friendships with that. We make contacts. We get contacts in in other villages. That's how we're able to preach the gospel there in, in Uganda. We also have different services. If some of you saw the video this morning, you'll notice uh, toward the end, there was a picture of a whole bunch of motorcycles. And the, the, the picture before that was Boda Rider Outreach. We have what we call Boda Bodas in Uganda. These are guys that ride motorcycles. And they do it for a living, and they will take people or cargo about anywhere you want to go. Literally, they will take you all the way across Uganda if you pay them enough. And they'll put anything on their, their motorcycle. Uh, I've seen one guy riding inside of tires. Okay, get that in your mind. He's on a motorcycle, but he is inside the tires driving. I've seen coffins on the back of motorcycles. I've seen pigs and goats and cows. Yes, a cow. I've seen other motorcycles. Uh, you can fit seven people on a motorcycle. Did you know that? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Uh, so these guys will, will take anybody and anything anywhere. They are the transport people there in Uganda. But they're not really looked up on in society. They, they're kind of like the low caste, you might say. So people don't think too highly of them. And so people don't care about them. If there's ever a problem, it's the Boda's fault. So we thought, you know, people don't care about the Boda's, but we need to show them that Jesus cares. And so we, we had a Boda conference where we invited 200 motorcycle guys. Can you imagine having 200 motorcycle guys right here in the church? Now, they're a little different. They're not like motorcycle gangs are here in the States. They're not quite like that. But... Our church can only handle about 200, and so we invited specifically 200 
guys, and we had 173 that came. The building was packed. We actually even, we had an aisle down the middle, and we put two-by-fours, taped them down, two lines, and we had races. They started from the back on the two-by-four, and they had to see, yeah, how fast they could get up to the front to pop a balloon, but they had to stay on the motorcycle, uh, stay on the two-by-four. So they couldn't go really fast, although some of them did, and I thought we were going to have to get the, hot, the ambulance to come. But, uh, but we had games for them. We played all kinds of games. We gave them reflector vests. We fed them a great meal. We brought the traffic police in to try to encourage them to keep the law. Probably 75% of those motorcycle riders or uh, boater riders did not have a driver's license. And the police know it. And there's so many of them. There's, there's probably 100,000 motorcycle riders in Uganda. That's an army. And so they just kind of let it go. So we, we told them, hey, we're going to have the traffic police, but they're not to, there to arrest you. So don't worry. You come. The police are going to be there, but they're not going to arrest you. They're just going to help you with some of the traffic laws to help you be safe. So we had them come in, and we preached the gospel to them. We had several that got saved. And because of that, we have a testimony among the boater riders. They know that our church cares about them and they know that Jesus cares about them. Those are the ways that we're able to get the gospel to, to many of these people that otherwise they'd never come to church. Nobody cares about them. Those that get saved, we baptize them. Not by sprinkling, not by pouring. We baptize them by immersion because that's what the Bible teaches. That is the only thing that shows the picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then we disciple them. Many churches stop there. They go soul winning, soul winning, soul winning. They bring them in to get baptized. And then that's it. There's nothing, there's no discipleship. There's no teaching them what Jesus Christ commanded. I'm thankful for our discipleship program that we have. And because of that, within just a short time, we were able to start the church there in Kasese. We're able to get some land. We started the Bible college for those that went beyond the discipleship lessons. They wanted to know more about the word of God. And so we started right there. We had it in our church. We taught them. Uh, and they were learning so much from the Word of God, they began to start getting involved in the, in the work. My wife started a children's class. We got uh, the finances to be able to build the building that we, uh, that we needed to build on that land, which was a blessing from the Lord. Churches gave uh, to help us do that, and we built it by faith, and now we have a great uh, building there in town. Uh, we were able to start a police ministry. It wasn't started the way I wanted to start it, it was a really a bad situation. Uh, no, come on. Now you're laughing because you think I got arrested. Is that what you're thinking? Actually, I did. <laughs> in, in, a, in a way, there was an accident and I was accused of killing someone. Um, but the Lord worked all the details out. And because of that, I was able to start a police ministry. And we've seen several officers getting saved. And we, we go every Monday. I go every Monday to preach to the police parade. It's the assembly where they meet. And they always say, we want pastor to give a blessing. And normally it's just supposed to be a prayer, but I always take the Bible and I give them something. As a policeman, how they can be a better policeman, how they can become a Christian. Um, and so the Lord has opened that door up every week. Because of that, they've allowed us to go into the jail every week. We're able to preach to the suspects every week in the jail. Because of the jail ministry, God opened up a, a prison ministry. Now we're able to go to the prison where the actual inmates are we preach there. Many of them are there for 20, 30 years. And so those that have gotten saved that are not going to get out, we're discipling them so that they can be doing the same thing while they're in prison. They have a lot of time. 
one of the guys uh, wanted to have a church started in his village, Brother Brian. So he came and said, Pastor, can we go out there? I said, let's go. So we started going out to his village of Karsandara. We started going out on Tuesdays. We didn't go on Sundays. If we had started going on Sundays, we would be inviting people to come to us and not be in their church. And that's a war. You, you go there and you start that, you got a war already, and you're not going to succeed most likely. So we start on Tuesday, a Bible study. Who doesn't want to come to a Bible study? Those that go to these other churches on Sunday, fine. They can still come to our church on Tuesday or, or to our, our meeting place under the mango tree for a Bible study. As some of them got saved, we started discipling them. I didn't tell them, don't go back to your church. I just kept teaching them the truth from the word of God. And they would come and ask me questions. Pastor, you're teaching this, but my leaders are saying this. I said, well, what are we teaching? What does the Bible say? They continued to grow. They, began, they got baptized. They began reading the word of God and studying it and were so excited about what, what they were learning. And then they came and said, Pastor, we need a church to go to on Sunday. That meant they had stopped going to those churches because they knew they were lying to them. So I said, okay, let's start a church. So we get the church started. Now the war started, but we have people that are grounded in the word of God. They're not going to be intimidated by their former leaders because they know they're lying to them. They know what they believe is the word of God. We continue discipling them. Uh, God provided them some land. He provided a building. We started the church there officially, and Pastor Brian is doing a great job over there. The devil's fighting. The devil always tries to stop the work of the Lord. But we praise the Lord. There's a church there in Karsandara that is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. COVID lockdowns kind of slowed us down a bit, uh, but God blessed in spite of them. In the first lockdown, it was really hard because the people had no food. They don't have refrigerators and freezers that so they can store food for a while. They have nothing. So it was a really difficult time. But uh, through a series of events, God provided us over $39,000 to buy food and give food to people. We were giving packages of, of corn flour and salt and, and some sugar and rice and beans, and we're able to take these packages and give them to people. Uh, it was such a blessing that we had a great testimony. We started with our church members, then we started with our church members' neighbors, uh, then neighbors of the church, neighbors of the other churches. We gave them to teachers because there were no schools. Uh, we gave thousands of packages of food out, and our church became known as the one that cares about people. They would tell us, Pastor, my church gives me an envelope to give to the church. Your church that I don't even attend has given me food. Really, you must have the truth. And we had people get saved because of that. Because we gave them physical food, they ended up getting saved. And what a blessing that God was able to do that. During that first COVID, we had 50 people that were being discipled every week. The church building was closed. The church was not closed. We actually grew during COVID. It was a blessing. The second lockdown, um, it, things opened up and then they came and uh, the pr president locked things down again. But this time we were ready. We knew what we were going to do. So we divided the church up into basically eight geographic regions. Uh, because they didn't want large crowds, 10 maybe at the maximum, five, we kind of stretched a little bit. And so we said, all right, we've got eight guys, eight leaders. You're going to be over here. You're going to be here, here. And we put them all over town. And so whatever you lived, you would go to that one that was closest to you. So we did that for all during the second lockdown. Even the police chief of our town was coming to our Bible study on Sundays. So I knew that we were okay. We were not going to be in trouble because he was coming to our 
uh, our Bible said, of course, we had to be separate and have the masks on, but I never had mine on, and he was okay with it, so I'm, I'm glad for that. We started the fishing through footballing, which Ugandans love football. Not American football, football. Uh, I think football was invented before American football. And I don't know why they call it football, because you never really use your feet. It's your hands. So anyway, I'm, I'm not going to get in trouble by keeping talking about that. So let me just say that they love football, soccer, and you get a t- couple teams together, no matter where they are, and you're going to get a crowd because they love to watch football. And so we started a ministry where we would somehow sponsor two teams, local teams, and we would tell them, look, we will give the winner a soccer ball. Most of them don't have soccer balls. Uh, they would make a soccer ball maybe out of banana fibers or maybe plastic bags they would tie into a ball, and that's their soccer ball. And so when we told them we're going to give the winner a soccer ball, they agreed to anything we wanted to do. So we got to preach to them. We had people get saved. From that preaching, we had a tournament one time. One guy came and said, wow, I like your preaching. Would you come to our church? Or would you come to my, my school and preach? So we did. And so because of that, the church got started in Chinayobio, all because of football. Does God love football? Nobody answered that. That was interesting. I think God loves what we do and use to reach people with the gospel. We were able to go up in the mountains. God provided us a vehicle last, uh, last furlough in an amazing way, and we were able to go up in the mountains and be able to reach people that most people cannot reach because it's such a difficult area to try to get up into. A lot of discipleship, a lot of preaching and teaching, uh, a lot of teaching because they're very religious, but the problem is they have all that religion in their mind thinking that's what you're supposed to do. And so we have to almost get that out of them before we can really get in the truth of the word of God. There's a lot of baggage there, but God is blessed and we're able to get the church up and Ibedi Achona started. Uh, and I'm excited about that church, what they're doing. We, had ha- we were there for about a week. And so I had brought a tarp to, to cover us during the teaching week. Then we finished up the week and they said, well, pastor, can we use the tarp to, to meet on Sundays? I said, absolutely, you can use it. The next time I went there, they had built a very simple wood structure out of, kind of, we call it the offcuts, the outside part of the trees. They had built a very, uh, very simple structure and used the, the tarp as a roof over the top of it. I was, so, I was so impressed that they didn't wait on me, the Mzungu, the white man, to do something. They did it themselves. And so I'm, I'm so excited about that church. God has provided iron sheets to put up. Uh, we need to buy the land so that we can officially build on that uh, on that, that property, but God has blessed up there in the mountains. Well, we have another one that was started up in Shanirazi because of a street parking ministry. In, in Kasese, you pay for parking. And so wherever you park, these guys will come and they'll put this little uh, sticker or paper on your windshield and you have to pay. Well, one, I don't know if it was the rain or something. Somehow I missed to pay it. As God is my witness, I did not run away from it, okay? Just want you all to know that because I know you're thinking, yeah, you didn't pay. I paid all the times, but I think the Lord, whether I paid or not, the Lord made them lock me up. So they put this clamp around my tire and I can't go anywhere, which meant I had to go to the office. Well, when I went to the office, I met the owner. Got to talking with the owner, found out I was a preacher. He said, would you come and preach to my guys? So I came twice a week. I would come and preach to these, we, I called them meter maids, but they're guys, uh, and, and we were able to continue preach to them many times. They were young guys. They didn't seem like they were really getting it. But in January, 
2021, several of the guys said, Pastor, would you come on Saturday and, and talk to us? I went there and three of them got saved. Uh, because of those three, two others got saved. And it was such a blessing to see these guys get saved and see their life change. One guy said, I'll never go to church again. Never. I've seen what church is. It's business, it's money, it's clothes. And I don't want any part of it. He got saved. And it was during COVID that I was discipling him. He was one of the ones that said, Pastor, when is church opening? The one who said, I'll never go back to church. He's the one that asked, when does church open up? I'm so excited for these guys. Because of that, we were able to get a, a preaching point started up in Shanyadazi. Uh, and I'm excited about that, the work that's going on up there. Uh, the guy that normally goes up this morning, uh, in the morning, he texted me last night and said he wasn't going to be able to go because he had a responsibility in town, but he was sending another guy up there. And the guy that was going up there was one of these street parking guys that had gotten saved. It's such a blessing to see them being involved. We're able to go to the high schools. My wife signs uh, for the deaf, she knows Uganda Sign Language, and we've seen several that have gotten saved there. We're working on translating the scriptures into Lukonzo. As I mentioned this morning, Uganda has 50 languages. I don't know how many, how many counties are in California. Does anybody know how many counties are in California? 50? Perfect. Can you imagine if every county in California had a different language? Now, that's not just two or three more. That's 50 different languages in California. That's the way Uganda is. And Uganda is only the size of the state of Oregon with 50 different languages. And so the, Luc- the, the Baconzo people do not have the scriptures in their language. They don't have it. Uh, and and we, we're fighting, and, and I, am, I am King James. I use the King James, but I think we're fighting too much about that and not getting the word out to people. Because most countries don't have King James. They don't. And if you, if you say, and I may get in trouble here, but if you say you can only be saved by, being, by using the King James, there's a lot of people that are going to hell. Because the people in Uganda that only speak Lokonzo, they don't have King James. The people in Uganda that speak Rototo, they don't have King James. The people in Uganda that speak Runyon Kore, they don't have King James. But I can tell you, they are getting saved. And we're able to give them the word of God. And so we are doing our best, though, because, yes, the word of God is very important. And so we are translating the scriptures. We're going back from the Greek to try to get a good Bible that they can use and be able to help grow these churches. We've got four people in our team that are translating the scriptures into Lokonzo. Uh, They finished John, 1 John, James, uh, Mark, and, and they're doing a great job. And I'm excited. I can't wait to be able to have a New Testament to begin with, to go up in the mountains and give these people a free copy of the word of God. And they'll ask, well, how much do I have to pay? No, it's free. It's free. Uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, God provided last furlough. We were able to build a multi-purpose building that we use for Bible college. We use it for Sunday school classrooms. We use it for dormitories, for translation work. Uh, it is such a blessing to have a place that can be almost like a base. It's not a mother church. I'm not saying that, but it's a base where we can train people to send them out. People said when we were building the building, they said, that's too small. You need a bigger building. I said, well, you don't understand my purpose. My purpose is not to build an empire. My purpose is not to have a massive auditorium so everybody comes to see the white pastor. That's not my purpose. My purpose is to go out there and preach the gospel and get people saved, bring them into the church, baptize them, train them, then send them out. 
if this building gets too big or if this building gets full, I said, I'm not doing my job. Because it's not just to gather everybody in and have a nice big church. It's to get them in, train them, and send them out. Uh, weddings. Uh, you saw, some of you saw the video about the goats. Uh, they have to give a dowry of goats to the father-in-law. And the goats they have to give is equal to about a year's salary. Imagine if you, before you got married, had to go to the father-in-law and give him a year's salary. I'm not going to ask you if it's worth it or not. <clears throat> I will get in trouble. But God provided in a great way, and, and churches and individuals gave us the equivalent of 82 goats so that we could help these people get wed. From September to March, uh, September last year to March of this year, we had 15 weddings. And it was such a blessing to see these people who they got saved, they realized they were in fornication. They said, what do we do, pastor? I said, you have to separate first. You have to do what is right. And then God can bless. They would separate. I would send them to their in-laws to find out what they needed to pay. The father-in-law said six goats. They'd come back and say, pastor, I have three goats. I need three more. And I say, well, praise the Lord. God's provided three goats for you. So we had 15 weddings. What a blessing. I didn't promise them anything until they had separated so this wasn't just, oh, he's going to give us goats. They had to separate. They had to realize what they were doing was wrong. They separated. They made things right. And then God began to bless. While we're here on furlough, we have uh, men who are leading the work there. I'm so excited. Brother Joshua, Brother Happy, Brother Amon. Many of these guys are leading in all the ministries. They're doing it all. We've got about 35 to 40 that are in Bible college right now that are, are um, desiring to serve the Lord. We have several that once they graduate, they want to go and start a church. But I'm thankful for the men that are there doing that work. When we go back, I'm praying that Brother Joshua will take the church. That will then give me the freedom to move around to some of these newer churches and to some of these preaching points and help them really get established. Take some of the guys that have graduated, help them. They want to start a church in this area or this area. Help them get started. That's my desire when we, we go back. Some of them need land. Some of them need buildings. There's projects that we want to do. So we want to just kind of come alongside these men and help them in spreading the gospel. You know, the Lord is coming back soon. And looking at Israel and seeing how things are unfolding, and it's, it's coming soon. Uh, and we want to take every opportunity we can to reach people with the gospel in Uganda. We have a benevolent dictator, which basically means if you oppose him, you will disappear. But at the same time, we as Christians, we have complete freedom. We, we have no, he has no problem with us. If you oppose him in, in politics and things, you'll disappear. <laughs> We've seen it happen. But for us as Christians who are there preaching the gospel, we have no problem. We have more freedom there than we do here. But there's one bullet away from anarchy. Look at the other countries where the dictator has died. And so one bullet away from who knows what's going to happen in Uganda. We may not be able to go back. It may only be a year or two that we're back there and something happens and we have to come back. Therefore, we need to take every opportunity we can to get the gospel out and to train up these men so that if we have to come back here, they can keep the work going. Now, here's my challenge. What we're doing in Uganda, what we're doing in Africa is not unique to Africa. So, yeah, some of the things you may not be able to have a motorcycle conference. That might be a whole lot different here than it is there. <laughs> But there's a whole lot of things that you can be doing here to reach people with the gospel. Churches plant churches. Churches plant churches. 
It's not, well, this person gets offended and he goes over here and starts a church. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that are from this church that have God has called and they submit to the authority of their pastor and they say, Pastor, I believe God wants me to go on this side and start another church. Churches plant churches. Are you involved in that? That's what I'm doing. That's what you're supporting me to do. But don't think that because you send missions money and you pray for missions that it absolves you of the responsibility to do the same thing right here. You say, well, that's the mission field. What's this? I love that map on the back. That just keeps the focus where it ought to be. This is a mission field right here. Don't think that that's the only mission field in Uganda and Asia and Ukraine. This is a mission field right here. You're called of God right here. Well, you don't know. I I work a job here, and this is where I live and where I'm raising my family. Well, I can't work, but I live in Uganda. It's where I'm raising my family. Do I just sit back and, well, I'm raising my family. I've got a job. You have a job that supports you physically so you can do the work of the ministry. No, you're not called to full-time ministry work like a pastor, but every Christian is full-time to serve the Lord. Telling your neighbors about Christ. Do they know you're a Christian? Well, they're from another country. Amen. They need Jesus too. People you work with. You shop at the same supermarket, probably, right? You know the people there by name? Do they know you're a Christian? You can be involved in soul winning. And you say, well, pastor, I, 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 and I'm saying pastor because they call me pastor. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to take <laughs> Brother Matt, I don't know how to tell people. Well, two things. Number one, keep talking to them and bring them to your pastor. But number two, learn how to do it so that you can tell someone how to be saved. In our church in Uganda, you cannot be a member if you can't lead someone to Christ. Let me move on. You get someone saved, bring them here. Don't leave them out there. Bring them in so they can be baptized, so they can be identified with Christ and with this church. And then again, I don't know what your pastor does for discipleship or new converts. I'm not sure, but I'm sure he needs help. It's not just him to do it. It's not just any assistance to do it. It's every Christian and especially church member's responsibility. If the growth of this church depended on your soul winning, how many people would be getting saved? If it was dependent on your discipleship, how many people would be growing in the Lord every week and month? How many people are in this congregation right now because of you? You can look around if you want or just think in your head. You know who they are, the people you've invited, people you've led to Christ. Or maybe you'd look around and say, there's nobody here. You would drop my support if I wasn't doing the work. And rightly should. There's still great freedom in this country. Oh, we have a lot more in Uganda, but there's still great freedom here to preach the gospel. It may not last. Okay, politically, who knows what's going to happen. But we have freedom now. Let's take advantage of the freedoms we have to preach the gospel. As I mentioned this morning, there's a lot of foreign people coming into our country. Praise the Lord. 
They may be leaving a Muslim country or a country where they can't preach the gospel, and they can come here, and their neighbor's a Christian. Praise the Lord. Amen. There's no nations in, um, uh, in heaven. Come on, America is not going to be number one in heaven. Now, I love America, but it's not number one in heaven. We've we got to stop being prejudiced. Jesus died for everyone, no matter their color, no matter their language, no matter their culture. And we've got to get over that so that we can realize Jesus loves me and he loves them the same. What a shame. God brings a person from a foreign field that cannot hear the gospel because of the politics. He brings them and puts them right next door to an independent Baptist Christian and they die and go to hell. I challenge you that what we're doing in Uganda, you can do right here. And you know the language. You don't have to worry about languages that you have to translate into cultures not knowing. You can do that work right here. So I challenge you, be involved in that work. Uh, Pastor's been talking about, um, I think you mentioned a church plant somewhere in Are you going to be involved in that? Oh, I'm busy. Churches plant churches. Church members are part of churches. That's what makes up a church. It's you that's going to plant churches, not him. It's churches. Be involved. What God is doing in Uganda, God can do it right here. Amen? Thank you, Pastor.